Good morning. Hasn't been a wonderful service so far, just worshiping the Lord, and I just love water baptism. I love seeing people uh, come into faith in Jesus. This is what this is all about. Hey, has it been a has it been a crazy week or what, right? Like crazy, huh? Well, um, I'm going to say the same thing that I said last week, in case you weren't here last week. Uh, last week, I said no matter what um, happens with the election, that uh, more so than being citizens of the United States, uh, we're citizens of heaven. And that's where our citizenship ultimately lies. And, and, and again, I'll say the same thing I said last week, that, that kings rise and kings fall. Presidents rise, presidents fall. If you look at history, nations rise and nations fall. And our emotions, our perspective on the future, our perspective on life is not controlled by politics. It's not controlled by stuff going on around us. Uh, we are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and we're responding to Him. And more than anything, we're called to be salt and called to be light in the world that God has put us in, that we are agents, we're ministers. God said He has given us a ministry of reconciliation, of reconciling God and man, uh, reconciling God and man to each other. And so that's our heart, that's our motive, that's what we're all about. And uh, just, just really just thankful uh, for... Uh, a church and a body of believers that just loves the Lord so much and is just there um, in our community. Um, just a, a really cool thing, um, as we talk about the election this week, that uh, once again we we're able to host the election um, on Tuesday, and over a couple of dozen of you guys came out, all ages, from little kids to not so little um, kids. Uh, you guys uh, came out and you served our neighbors donuts and coffee, water, cookies, and it just, it's so great just to see, because there are some really, really long lines, but they saw that coffee at the end and the donut, and you guys just loved on them and just really, just really good neighbors. So thank you for being good neighbors to our community. 2,600 people came through here on Tuesday, and then the week before, trunk or treat, 1,000, 1,200. So we had anywhere in the last 14 days, we've had anywhere from 36 to 3,800 different people uh, that have been on the property here that we just serve. No agenda. We just serve and just love and just to be, to be good neighbors. And just really, just really, um, just really thankful for that opportunity. It's just really neat. You know, um, so many times when churches move into communities and they're trying to get retail space or trying to, to buy property it can really be negative for a community because, um, you know, we don't, we don't pay taxes. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't pay property tax. We don't pay income tax. I mean, not yet. I mean, someday I think we will. But at, at this point, we don't. And so a lot of communities can really think negative of churches moving because what are they giving to the community? What does the community get out of a church being there? And I'm really thankful that we really, we use our building, we use our resources uh, just to serve our community, to serve our neighborhood. And, and we just want to be there to be a blessing. And so Thank you guys for being that kind of church. It really, it really is amazing. It really is. Well, this morning, um, I, I, I'm going a different path uh, than what I had originally um, intended. I'm, I'm going to do a short, just two-week series. Um, and as I do this two-week series, I just, um, I just really felt this was the direction uh, that the Lord um, had, has for us for the next two weeks. And what I'm going to be talking, out, talking about is how to, navigate, how, to na- how to navigate life, how to navigate in uncertain times. And, and regardless of, of the election, I mean, just whatever as far as that goes, I mean, I, my personal feeling is that we just really live in really uncertain times, right? We really don't know what the future holds. It's just a really unique season um, in, in the life of this nation and 
and, and I mean, I've never lived a life before. This is my first one, right? So, so I'm even navigating new things in life because everything's new all the time. And, and I don't know what you might be navigating. I don't know there might be health issues that you're navigating. There may be family uh, relationships you're navigating, financial situations. Um, but often in life, we find ourselves just navigating, um, just, we just find ourselves navigating life. And so how do we do that well? How do, we, how do we do it? Well, one of the things that I've discovered that as you're navigating uncertain times, that, you, um, that it often involves waiting. Have you ever noticed that? that? That involves waiting, that it's like God is often on a different time zone than we are, right? It's like he's on a different time. And, and, do, you, and do we think that God's going to adjust his like, time zone for us? No, that's, that's not how it works. That's never worked for me. I mean, maybe for you, but for me, uh, that's never. I have to adjust my time zone to God. And so, so what do we do in these seasons of waiting in our life? We're navigating what God's doing. How, how, do, how do you respond um, in, in those types of times? So this is what I have found to be true. In uncertain times, we often find ourselves in a place of waiting. So how do we navigate waiting well? How do we navigate waiting well? Um, in your bulletin are, are, is a place to make notes. I just want to uh, let you know about that. And then this week, because I did something different, I didn't have my notes ready when the bulletin uh, was printed, so I missed the deadline, so they're not in there, that's blank. But if you go to our app, if you just go to the store or the market, uh, Grace Church 417, Grace Church Springfield, Missouri, there's an app, it's free, you can download it, and all the notes are in there, so you can follow, you can follow along with that. So, so what I'm going to do, it's two weeks, this week is the negative sermon, okay? So this week is the bad news, this week is all the stuff that, that we shouldn't do. Uh, that, that we don't want to do and we're trying to navigate uncertain times uh, when we find ourselves waiting on what to discover what God's doing. Um, and next week is all the good news. Next week is going to be um, all the things that we need to do in order to do that. So you don't want to just hear this week because you only get half of it. You want to be sure to be here next week to get the other side of the story. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at three biblical examples of, of situations in Scripture where people didn't wait well, where they didn't navigate change well. And then we're going to look at signs or indications or evidence in our own life that maybe we're not navigating things well. And then we're going to look at some promises from the Lord about if we, if we do wait on Him, of what He promises to do in us and through us. So let's start with the very first story um, that we're going to talk about this morning. This is a story of the children of Israel who, as they were leaving Egypt... So they were leaving Egypt. God had set them free. He used Moses to, to bring deliverance to them. They had, you know, the plagues occurred. Pharaoh, Pharaoh finally let them go. Uh, the Red Sea parted. Uh, they're heading across. Pharaoh's armies are coming after them. And God destroys them. And we just see miracle after miracle after miracle happen. And the children of Israel, um, as, they're, as they're moving through the, the, the wilderness on the way to the land that God had promised them. And so, so they're doing this. And along the way, uh, God has them stop. And he calls Moses, he calls Moses up into the mountain because he wants to download to, to him the instructions for the tabernacle. He wants to give him uh, the, how they're to worship, the Ten Commandments. So just as, you know, on our computers, we would download instructions. Uh, it's the same kind, you know. I guess, same kind of thing, right? So he's, he's downloading God's instructions. And so, you know, in my mind, I see this tall mountain. And I see these clouds that have come down, and there's thunder, and there's lightning. You know, I don't know if it's like that, but that's, that's kind of how I picture it. And so the, the millions of people, uh, the children of Israel down at the base of the mountain, and Moses is gone. Like, he's gone 40 days and 40 nights. And they're starting to freak out. And, and they're starting to... 
to, to wonder, okay, is he coming back? What's going on? What's going to happen? Because their spiritual leader wasn't there to give them leadership. And they're disillusioned. And can't that happen in our own life as well? As we're trying to navigate uncertain things or we find ourselves, you know, waiting, maybe waiting on somebody else, waiting on other situations like they were, that we can, where does our focus rest? Because we know as we are people who worship, we know as we're people who focus on God, that if we do that, 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 that we're able to do things okay. But what ended up happening to the children of Israel is that they became self-focused. They became self-focused um, as they were waiting. And I think that's really a, a danger that we can all face as we're navigating uncertain times in life, that we can become focused on ourselves. We can become focused on our own needs, our own desires, our own wants, our own pains, our own misunderstandings or not understanding. And we do that, everything begins to get like cockeyed. Everything begins to get knocked out of shape. And so we can really learn from the children of Israel of how they, of how they respond to this. Exodus chapter 32 of verse 1 says this. It says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. Uh, the message translation uh, says, come on, Aaron, do something. Make something happen. Do something here. And so, and so he, 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 he does. Um, I don't think I have it on the screen up there, but, in, but if, starting at verse 2, uh, Exodus 32, 2. So Aaron told them, well, take off the gold rings at the, from the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring all the gold to me. And so they did it. And so he took the gold from their hands and cast it and made a form of a calf, shaping it with an engraving tool. And the people re- responded with enthusiasm, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from Egypt. And then they had a day of worship and dedication to this, to this false god, who I believe really represented themselves, really represented what they were desiring, what they were wanting. It was focused on, rather than keeping their focus and trust on the Lord, that he would do what he said he would do because he's already brought them this far, they began to focus on themselves. And that can be really, really dangerous. And that's not, what, that's not how we want to be when we want to navigate situations well. Um, I love reading the message translations. One of the reasons is the, uh, the author that, 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 that has developed this paraphrase, um, he's a great, he was a pastor for a number of years, and just a great linguist was able to translate the Hebrew and Greek well. But I have a study Bible uh, that he has written, Eugene Peterson. It has these different pastoral commentaries in there. And so I'm just going to, please indulge me, uh, but I'm, there's two paragraphs here. And I just want to read these um, that's pertinent to this story because I, I find it very applicable and, and, and very helpful. This is, what, this is what Eugene Peterson says. He says, Moses had been gone a long time, 40 days and nights. Meanwhile, the people, impatient to get on with their new life of freedom, decided they wanted to develop their own worship. Worship that in the phrase of our times, they could get something out of. Anybody ever, ever heard that phrase? Somebody can get something out of. So they talked to their associate pastor, Aaron, into providing them with worship that satisfied their desires. Something that turned out to be pretty much a reflection of the gaudy Egyptian world in which they had so recently been oppressed but a world that they also envied, as oppressed people often do, as excluded outsiders. We know what happened with the Israelites from Exodus 32, 33. The golden calf, their golden calf worship, which was self, 
defined, impatient, unreflective, and self-serving nearly destroyed them, and it has nearly destroyed us. Refusing to wait for God to speak, we fill His silence with activity. We raise money for things. We build things. We look at the way things were done in Egypt, and we model our worship after patterns that are familiar to us and seem to work for others. Patterns that leave out ambiguity and mystery, as well as waiting on God and listening for Him. All with tragic consequences, at least in the spiritual realm. I find that very enlightening. I think it's so interesting here that they turned and they made God, a God, little g, that they had fashioned themselves. And so, so it is that we want to take things in our control when we're waiting on the Lord. We become self-focused. The next story in the Bible also has to do with the children of Israel. And this is a little further along in the story. And what's going on here, this story is found in Deuteronomy, which is a series of sermons from Moses declaring to the people what God had done and what he was going to do. And what should have taken 11 days, this journey from Egypt to the promised land that God had promised him, should have taken 11 days, but it took 40 days years. And it took 40 years because when they faced uncertain times, when they were waiting, as they were moving forward, they responded in fear. They became fear-focused. And what happened was they had, they sent spies in to look at the land that was promised because the land wasn't theirs yet. It had been promised by God, but they hadn't, they hadn't taken possession of it yet. And it's so interesting because they're a people of promise because they're the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we know that, that, that they didn't fully understand their identity because their identity was tied to their land, which it, so it is even today. And so we have a, and so here we have these people who is really just one big family. That's why they're called the children of Israel. It's just one huge, huge family. They didn't actually have national identity yet. They didn't have the land yet. So there's people of promise moving towards a land of promise, yet there's so much ambiguity and so much um, difficulty as they're navigating uh, this journey towards what God had called them into. And so as they're, as they're processing this, as they're moving forward, they send 12 spies, one from each tribe um, of their big family, and they send them in to scope out the land to see, what, see what's there. And the spies actually bring back a very positive report. They tell about how, how beautiful the land is, how bountiful it is, how the Bible calls it land flowing with milk and honey, which just means there was abundant provision. And it was very, very good. It was, it was very, very, very beautiful. Um, this is in Deuteronomy chapter 1, if, if, if you want to turn there. So Deuteronomy chapter 1, and so they sent these, these spies out to look. This is Moses uh, retelling this story. And it says here, and, and, and again, he's telling what, what already happened. So I have verse 26. It doesn't pick up on the screen until 29, but I'm in Exodus chapter 1. But then you weren't willing to go up, he says to them. You rebelled against God, your God's plain word. You complained in your tent. God hates us. He called us. He hauled us out of Egypt in order to dump us among the Amorites, a death sentence for sure. How can we go up? How can we do this? We're trapped in a dead end. Our brothers took all the wind out of our cells by telling us the people are bigger and stronger than we are. Their cities are huge. Their defensive is massive. We even saw Anakite giants there. And so 
Ten of the spies talked about the giants in the land. They identified the giants. And, and, and that's what kept them at this season, this wilderness generation, from moving into the future that God had for them. It was because they were facing this in, in fear. And, and it's so easy to, to, to look at them back in history and say, how could you have missed this? But the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that these stories are told to us so we don't make the same mistakes that they do because we're inclined to do that. And so as we look at this story, we see that they in their tents, they begin to talk and mumble and complain out of fear. And how many times in our houses do we, instead of choosing things to be thankful for or grateful for, that we talk about negative, we talk about things that cause fear. I know even yesterday, after I wrote this sermon, I came out of my office, and it was just moments later, I found myself grumbling and complaining about something. I was like, oh, Heather, forgive me. Like, I, I mean, I, I know better. I just, I just wrote about this. I just wrote a sermon about this, and here I am doing it. And, and oh, Lord, help guard our mouth. Help us find those times when we're doing that that we can say, Lord, forgive me. I, I don't want to be focused. On, I don't want to have fear. I want to be faith-focused on, on, on all that God has for me. And so... And so as we look at this, it was, it, sometimes we can feel that way. We're like we're caught at a dead end. And it says their brothers, that what they said, took the, took the cells out. They were focused on these unknown giants. Like these unknown giants. They, they were focused on them. And, and isn't that true as we think about the future when we don't know exactly what it holds? That in our mind, there's these giants out there. There's these obstacles. We can't identify. The people had never seen them, right? But they heard they were there. So they were fearful. And so can we. When we're looking at the future, we don't know exactly what it holds. That we can, Our imagination can run wild, can't it? And we can imagine these things that are there trying to block what God wants to do in our lives. But, but we take hope in what, in what Moses told them. Verse, uh, verse 29. We have it up on the screen. It says, Then I said to you, don't be terrified. Don't be afraid of them. That's what the Lord would say to you. Don't be afraid of, these, of, these, of this, um, the things you're imagining about the future. Don't be afraid. The Lord your God who is going before you. How many of you guys are thankful God goes before us, right? I mean, I'm so thankful for that. God goes before us. So he will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes in the wilderness. And there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. That the Lord, we know that we're going to make it to, to where God is calling us as individuals, as a congregation, as people. We know we're going to make where God is calling us to because He's brought us this far, right? I mean, think of your own life. Think of where God has brought you from. Think of where you are today. And it's maybe not a perfect place, right? They weren't in a perfect place. They were in a place of wilderness. But they knew there was hope for the future because of the faithfulness that God had, had been in their life up until this point. And so it says here, it gives this beautiful imagery of God carrying them like a son. Can you just picture that? Of a father carrying a son? And that's a, the picture of God carrying, carrying us. On Tuesday night, I got a text from one of our council members, Brady Thompson. And he, had, he texted me, he was asking for prayer. Uh, they have a two-story house, and he had just fallen down the steps holding his 10-week-old baby, Duncan. And so he, he fell down the steps, and his text was, I fell down the steps, I was, I was carrying Duncan, um, I did my best to protect him, I think he's okay, he has a knot on his head, we're going to the hospital, please be praying for him. And he did, he had a knot on his head, they kept him overnight for observation, um, praise the Lord, I mean, he did have some bleeding on the brain, but he's okay, and he's going to be fine. 
I'm just so thankful for that. But as I was reading this verse this morning, I just pictured in my mind, I pictured Brady just holding Duncan. And as he's falling, that he is taking the hit for Duncan. That he's holding him, that he's protecting him. And, you know, his shoulders hitting the stairs and, you know, just hitting all over, just rolling down. But, but just cocooning, just protecting little Duncan. And such a beautiful picture, uh, such a beautiful metaphor of, of how the Lord holds us and carries us. Now, obviously it breaks down because we know God doesn't stumble, He doesn't fall, but we do know that Jesus came and He took the hit for us, right? That we, dead in our trespasses and sin, deserved judgment, deserved death, uh, deserved to, to, we're the ones that were fallen, but yet Jesus came and took our place and took the hit for us. And I'm so thankful for that. And, and I love this, this beautiful picture of Father God who is holding us, who is helping us navigate into all that he has. Um, you know, as we read this, and he, says, he says here that, that, but now that you're here, you won't trust your God. This is the same God. Let me stick to this. I have two different translations here. Let me just read this one more time. And in the wilderness, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. Man, all the way you went until you reached this place. You know, I don't want to be like, I don't want to face any, any part of the future with fear. I want to be like Paul. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 2. Remember, he's writing from prison, right? He's writing from prison. He says this, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do everything without grumbling. I wonder if, I wonder if Paul is on Facebook. I, I, I just wonder. I, I, I just wonder. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crook, crooked generation. And then you will shine among them. Wow. Isn't that what we want to be? Don't we want to be a reflection of the glory of God? It will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. I like this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul said this. He said, rejoice always. How often do we rejoice? Always. He says, pray always. How often do we pray? Always. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. So we rejoice always. We pray always. We give thanks always. For this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. That that's how we, that's how we process this. And so the third story uh, the first one, we, we don't want to be self-focused. The second one, we don't want to be fear-focused. The third one, and, and, and this one's easy for us, right? Us Missouri folks, us show-me state, us, let's, let's make things happen. We can be solution-focused. We can be solution. We're trying to come about, we're trying to get a solution. We're trying to get a solution. If we look at, a, at Genesis chapter 15, we see that, that Abram and Sarai, or Abraham and Sarah, they were solution-focused as they waited on the promise of God. At Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 through 3, you don't have, the, you don't have verse 1 up there, but, but this is what verse 1 says. It says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He says, do not be afraid, Abram. Do you see how often that's in Scripture? Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. I love that. Verse 2. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? You see, the Lord had promised him 
uh, to be a blessing. The Lord had promised to give him the land. The Lord promised to give him descendants. And, and he, Abraham understood enough. He had the heart of a father, even though he didn't have any offspring yet. He had the, the heart of a father to understand that what would give him the significance, what would really matter is what he could pass on to others. It wasn't, if you look at verse 2, it wasn't so much what would he would have of what he would possess, but what would it be that he could pass on to others? And oh, if we would live life that way of understanding like Abraham, that our significance is not in what we have. Um, our significance is what we give away. Our significance is what we empower others to do. Our significance is in investing in others and helping others. And so he's like, he's, he's so, so the Lord gives him a promise and he responds to the Lord with a question. Anybody else here ever done that? You feel like the Lord's saying something to you, and your your answer is your you ask him a question, basically like, "Well, how's that going to work out? Like, I don't see how this is going to happen. Like, I don't understand. I don't understand how you get from here to here, Lord." And so that's what he says. He says, "He says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me? How's it, how's this going to happen?" And so, what happens? What should happen when you ask a question, right? Like. If you ask somebody a question, would it be natural or normal to wait for a response? Is that reasonable? Okay. But doesn't Abram here do like what we do so often? So he asks God a question, and then does he wait on God's answer? No. He comes up with the solution for God. He says this. He says, he says, so he asked the Lord, the Lord gives him the promise, he asked him a question, and then Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So God gives him the promise, he said, Lord, how are you going to do, how are you going to work this out? Oh, I know God, this is how we can make this happen. Am I, I'm the only one, I'm the, you guys have never done that, I'm, I'm the only one. That we come up with the solution, because we don't see how he's going to do it, so we come up with our best solution of how we're going to help make this thing happen. And so we can really be solution-oriented, solution-focused, and we wait on the promises of God. He didn't even give God a chance to answer. But in verse, verse 4, God brought correction. In verse 5, God, God brought direction. Sarai, Sarah, she, she, was, she was the same. Like, she was solution-focused. The next chapter, uh, 16, verse 2, she said to Abram, The Lord's kept me from having children. He hasn't done what he said he's going to do. So I got a solution your solution didn't work. I got a solution. Go sleep with my slave, and perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what she said. He said, okay, let's do it. And, and we know the problems that came out of that. We know the difficulty, the struggle that came out of that, of trying to be solution-oriented instead of just as we're navigating difficult times, as we're waiting on, on the Lord, of just, just resting and waiting in Him and in His promises. Elizabeth Elliot said this, her husband in the 1950s was a missionary uh, to Ecuador to an unreached people group, and he was killed um, in the process. And this is what she knew about waiting. Uh, this is what she said about it. Waiting on God requires the willingness to bear uncertainty, to carry within oneself the unanswered question, lifting the heart to God about it whenever it intrudes upon one's thoughts. Let me read that again. Waiting on God requires the willingness to bear uncertainty, to carry within oneself the unanswered question, lifting the heart to God about it whenever it intrudes upon one's thoughts. So we've learned this morning to not be self-focused, to not be fear-focused, and to not be solution 
focused. But as we look at our, li- our own lives, how do we tell? What's the evidence that we're doing those things? How do we know? Uh, what kind of evaluation can we give ourselves as we process through life? Well, one, I've already mentioned, so we won't, we won't really talk about it again, is just what comes out of our mouth, uh, the words that we speak, how we're viewing the, f- the future, how we're viewing God. So that's what comes out of our mouth is a huge indicator about what's going on in our heart. Another one is rushing to do something, similar to what um, Abraham and Sarah would do, is rushing to do something. Isaiah 28, 16 says this, Say, See, I lay a stone... In Zion, a tested stone. I think I have, I think I have that slide, Isaiah 28, 16. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. You see, this, this, this stone in Zion, this tested stone, this cornerstone, this is a prophetic statement about Jesus. That the author here, Isaiah, is saying that if you... That if you rely on Jesus, you will never be stricken with panic. As believers in Christ, we should never be stricken with fear and with panic. And we find that happening in our life. We become, we know that, okay, I need to rely on the Lord. I need to trust in Him. That I don't have to make something happen. I I don't have to react. I don't have to do things out of a panic mentality. That I can trust in Him. The next one is hasty decisions without seeking God. Are you, do you find yourself just making decisions before really seeking the Lord? Ecclesiastes 8.3 says, Do not be in a hurry to leave the King's presence. Um, in other words, linger with the Lord. Stay with Him. Listen to Him. Don't be quick to run out and just, just make decisions. Wait on the King to speak. Wait on the King to give you direction. Another indication in our life, another evidence, is lack of prayer. Second uh, Chronicles twelve fourteen, uh, King uh, Jeroboam. Um, it says here he did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. He became king and he just started doing stuff. He didn't really take time to say, Lord, what are you saying about this? Lord, what are you doing about this? Let me get some instruction. Let me get some help from you as to know what to do. Another one is, where, do, where are we looking for our resource? Like, where is it that we're looking for help? If we find ourselves looking to man, or man's systems other than the Lord, that's a big red flag in our life. If we're looking to others to supply what only the Lord can supply, if we're looking to the government, if we're looking to family, whatever it might be, that it's, are we looking to others instead of God? Now, God can use others, but where are we looking? Or is, our, is our job our source? Like, what's our source? And if we begin to look at things other than God, then we, we know we're in trouble. Psalm 62.5 says, Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from Him. He is the one who gives us that hope. Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all of your needs according to His riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. That's where we, that's where we get that from. Another one is getting ahead of God's timing. As I mentioned earlier, being on the wrong time zone of trying to move ahead. Psalm 106.13 says, But they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. That there's this, there's this timing of just not getting ahead of God. You know, I think David is just a really great example of somebody who learned to wait on the Lord. The idea of waiting in Hebrew is an idea of binding together, of grasping together, of, of waiting in anticipation, of of, uh, even as he would have been a shepherd who would have been waiting on or serving or looking after his sheep, that it would have been a, uh, an attentive 
type of thing. And so he is, he, he, we can just learn so much. If you ever find yourself in a season of uncertainty, the book of Psalms is like, is so, so great, so encouraging, and really, really so helpful. We see in Psalm 130, verse 6, he says, I wait on the Lord. I wait for the Lord like, like more than the watchmen wait for the morning. Have you ever been camping and it's cold and you've woken up before the sun comes up and it's like you cannot wait for the sun to come up. That you, you, want, you want it to be warm, you want to just get on with it, you want to make some coffee, like you just need daylight. Or maybe, you have, maybe you're under a lot of stress and you're suffering from insomnia and you can't sleep and it's like, oh, if day would just get here. And I could just move on. Well, what day there represents hope, right? It represents fresh opportunity. And so he goes, Lord, I, I wait on you. I wait in anticipation on you like the one that's waiting for the sun to rise. That you are our hope, Lord. You are our rescue. You are our focus. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord and be strong. Take heart and wait for him. And when we do that, there's promises that he has made to us. And and here's four of them real quick. They're in your notes on the, on the app. Uh, promises for those who wait. The first one is deliverance from embarrassment. Now, if we'll wait on him, we won't be embarrassed. We won't be put to shame. He won't let us down. He won't leave us hanging. Psalm 25.3 says, No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. Aren't you thankful for that? That as our hope is in him, he won't, he won't leave us hanging. He's promised that he won't leave us hanging. He's promised blessing. Isaiah 30, 18, 18 says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up and show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait on him. Lamentations 3.25, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. So we know he gives us he, he won't embarrass us. He won't leave us hanging. He gives us blessing. And I love this one. He promises us himself. Psalm 25.5, lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are, my, you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. That he is our, he is our source. Uh, Genesis 15.1, God tells Abraham, I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. That as we wait on the Lord, the greatest treasure that we have of all is He Himself who joins us in this process of navigating difficult waters, just as He did with the disciples as the Sea of Galilee was all crazy and there was a storm that came up. Jesus came and He got in the boat with them. He was with them. And so we know that when we're charting in your life, when you're navigating these, these unforeseen things, that you know the Lord will be right there with you. And finally, strength. Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for God. Psalm 59, 9, you are my strength, I watch for you, God, you are my fortress. And so I'm so thankful for these promises of His. I'm so thankful that, that I don't have to face uncertain times focused on myself or focused on fear or trying to come up with solutions, that I have these promises that He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. Beth, if you'd come. Uh, there's a story about a, this happened many years ago, about a blimp. And this blimp, um, there, there were many men who were holding this blimp down before they were going to launch it. And this great gust of wind came, and it just it lifted this blimp up, and all these guys were hanging on to this blimp. 
Now, after, when it first started taking off, a bunch of them just let go right then. You know, they, they saw where this thing was headed, and they let go. But there were some of them that didn't let go. And they were gripped by fear. And they began to be lifted higher and higher and higher. And the crowd that had gathered watched as one by one, the strength of each man began to, began to fade. And one by one, these men began to fall and plummet to their death. Horrific sight. But as they watched the blimp go off in the horizon, there was one man who was still attached. There was one man who was still holding on. And the rescue team was following the blimp. And when they, when they finally got to the blimp and where it had, it had come to rest, that man was there. And they said, how did you hang on that long? How are you strong enough to hang on that long? And he said, there's no way I could have been strong enough to hold on that long. He said, what I did is I, I just tied the rope around my waist and I just went for a ride. Guys, you and I in our own strength, and we face uncertain times, we face storms. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't have the strength to hold on. What we have to do is to tie that rope around our waist, that, that idea of waiting, of that, that grasping, of that holding on to. And I've taught you guys that out of Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says He has a hope and a future for us. I've taught you guys that word hope there in the Hebrew means rope. That we hold on to that. And so we grasp the hope and we wait in hope and anticipation that God won't leave us, that He won't forsake us, that He is here. And then it's simply, we just hold on for the ride. We just hold on for whatever it is that, that He's doing. And we trust Him that even if we're not even able to hold on, that He's able to hold on to us.